You know, sleeping is a, it's a little bit like public speaking. A number of people have trouble getting started, but most people have trouble knowing when to stop, right? And they tend to go on and on and further than uh, what they need to. I, I have teenagers at home, and uh, they believe, honestly, in order to be an effective teen, that you have to sleep until at least almost lunch, or you're not really a teen. Now, the trouble is they've grown up in my house where I am up at six, whether the clock goes off or not, and am ready to be out doing whatever it is that needs to be done. And so they've grown up that way. And so now they wake up at six or seven and force themselves to stay in the bed and read and do other things, but they don't get out of the bed, so it counts as sleeping like a teen. It's a little bit strange. I was looking at this passage, and we're going to be in Romans 13, as you saw in the video a moment ago. So if you want to be looking for that, uh, it's the latter part of Romans 13. Those last four verses are where we're going to camp out at. But I was honing in on this part that talks about waking up. And I was looking up different things regarding that phrase. One of them I came across is a quote from Napoleon. Napoleon evidently took his finger and drew around the edges of a map along the borders of China. And he says this, There is a sleeping giant. Let him sleep. For if he wakes, he will shake the world. And I couldn't get away from that phrase. And I started thinking about, I wonder if Satan ever takes his finger and draws around the map. There is First Baptist. There is this church. There is that church. Or maybe even there's the church with a big C. And he looks around and says, there is a sleeping giant. Let them sleep. For if they ever wake, they will shake the world. And then I think he goes probably a step further. Let's find some ways to help them sleep. Let's find some things that they can be busily doing and be just as good as asleep. Let's let them argue among themselves about petty things that really don't matter. Let's let them be Baptists who dunk people completely under the water but won't come to church when it sprinkles outside. Right? Let's let them be as good as asleep. And while we've been asleep, think about the things that have happened. Truth has been replaced with not truth, but correctness. And correctness is defined by lots of different people and not by the authority that we stand on. While we've been sleeping, the radical minority has trumped the silent majority. Because we've been too busy snoozing. While we've been sleeping, blind acceptance of wrong has become the end. It's, it's rampant. While we have slept, apathy thrives. And passion or zeal has died, lays waiting. 
In fact, while we've been sitting in this service, and I know you've been wondering, what are these numbers all about? While we've been sitting in this service, 3,100 and counting people have passed away on this planet. And every second, there's about two more. And we weren't even aware of what was happening. So look with me here at Paul's call in Romans 13 and what he has to say. We're going to begin reading with verse 11, and then we're going to have to backtrack a little bit. But in verse 11, Paul says, And this do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Those first couple of words, and this do, or in some of your translations, do this, it beckons us to look back and see, do what? What's he talking about? Right? Ergo, we'll back up. Everybody good with backing up? This is the part where you nod. Okay. So we back up and we look, and really we have to back up into chapter 12 to figure out what is it that he's talking about. Because the end of chapter 11 ends with amen. It's the conclusion of a thought. And then in chapter 12, he starts a new line of reasoning. And he begins to look at God's people and he offers them lots of different admonitions and things that he wants them to do. And so as we skim through those parts of chapter 12, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Is that a familiar verse? Should be. So he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And how do we do that? He begins to answer it in verse 2. By being transformed. By the renewing of your mind. And he talks about the benefits of that. He goes into verse 3. Partway through verse 3 he says, but think, right? More of himself than he ought to think so as to have sound judgment. Don't think more of yourself than you ought. Have sound judgment. So he says... Present your bodies a living sacrifice by being transformed. Have sound judgment. And then he goes down and he continues on. In verse 6 he says, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let each person exercise them accordingly. So come and present. Do it with sound judgment by being transformed, the renewing of your mind, and exercise the gifts that you were given. Now there's lots of different gifts. Correct? Some of you have said, I have the gift of hospitality. Not me personally, but some of you. And you do, and exercise that gift. Some of you have the gift of teaching, and you're here early in the morning. This class over here in the corner a couple of weeks ago got very late notice of an illness, and that teacher got up and taught with about 10 or 15 minutes of notice and did a wonderful job, but she has that gift. Exercise your gifts accordingly. Now, there's some gifts we shy away from, and we say, there, I don't have that gift. I don't have the gift of evangelism. There is an evangelist. But the gift of telling people about Jesus isn't a gift. That's a job we all have. So, so don't say, I don't have that gift as an excuse not to do it. That's something we're all supposed to be engaged in. I don't have the gift of ministry. No, you have the calling of ministry. You need to be involved in that. So Paul gives all of these, do this things. Verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. And he's starting to set up this idea of loving each other. Be devoted to one another in verse 10. And then he goes down and explains that a little bit. 
And he continues, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And he sets up this idea for for believers. Now, that thought train continues into the next chapter. In the next chapter, he turns the corner and he begins to look at how we relate not so much to one another as God's people, but how we relate to our secular relationships, government, to friendships we have outside of the body, perhaps. And so he says, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And he gives us really two things to be doing as he explains all of this stuff. The first one's found in verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do, what does it say? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So the admonition is to do what is good. So he's summarizing all of these things he said previously. Do what is good, and then he explains the advantages of that. And then in verse 8, he gives another do. Owe nothing to anyone except to what? Mumble, mumble, mumble. All right. Those of you that can read English, verse 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. So, if we can summarize all of those things from the previous chapter into these two statements, I think it's a fair summary. Do what is good, love one another. Jesus himself would say that all the laws and the commandments are summed up in in love, right? And, And he would explain it a little further. But that's the idea. Do what is good, love one another. And so when we get to verse 11, he says, and this do, those are the things he's talking about. Wake up and do what is good and love one another. So we do what is good. We do what is good concerning the world. We do what is good concerning government. And good may be a relative definition when it comes to talking about government. Do what is good and right in our secular friendships. Do what is good within the walls of our church. Do what is good within God's family. And love one another. We could spend an entire series on what does that love one another mean. But I'm going to sum it up with this. What is more loving than sharing the most important thing in your life? with somebody else. And equally as convicting, when we don't share him, what does that say about his priority in our lives? When we share about what happened with the Redskin game last night, and we don't share him, and we share about a tooth that the grandchild has now grown. Which I want you to know, they grow teeth better than any grandchild in the history of mankind. They're the cutest, smartest, most excellent, most athletic, most beautiful being ever created by God. That one child that happens to be yours. Right? And I don't want to upset you, but every kid does that. They all will eventually grow teeth. 
and they're important. And the game is important. And it's new, it's novel, it's exciting. But what does it say about where Jesus is in our priority list if we don't ever get around to sharing Him? That's convicting to me. And so the phrase says, do these things. Knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. What an amazing impact the church could have in this world if the church was awake. One of the things I read on Twitter this last week one of the guys I'm following, was saying that the conditions are becoming right in our country for the church not to have the favored position it's had and to be more like the first century church that faced lots of persecution, but it's also when it grew without bounds. That's exciting to me. That's exciting to me. But then he says, your salvation is nearer. And I tripped over that phraseology. Salvation is nearer. Well, I was saved when I was nine. How can it be nearer now? And then you dig into the word salvation. The word being used there is the same word for deliverance. Your deliverance is nearer. In other words, it's a reference to our final deliverance, to our eternal rest. In other words, church, you don't know how many seconds there are between this moment and your last moment. Before your salvation is complete, in other words. You stand before God. The finish line. And I guess the question this morning is, are you sleeping, waiting on the finish line to come to you? Or are you actively involved in reaching and finishing well? This morning, almost 4,000 people have reached the finish line while we've been sitting here. And I don't know if anybody tried to share with them or not. He doesn't stop at that verse, he continues. Verse 12 begins to describe that the night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Deeds of darkness. He explains what some of those are a little bit later, but deeds of darkness are what you don't want seen by others. So they happen when other people can't see. Earlier this morning, we discovered that the computer running this will go idle in a few minutes, if it's not running a program, and it will begin to show the pictures that are on that computer. They happen to be my pictures. I don't want you to see our vacation pictures. Not that they're risque or anything strange going on, but in fact, in truth, I really didn't mind. But when Sherry came in for rehearsal, she said, you have to fix that. (laughs) So I fixed it. It's things like that. Things that we don't really necessarily want everybody in the world to know about. And yet we've become hardened to the fact that God sees those things. Things we wouldn't dare do or say in front of another person. But it's like we've forgotten that God sees it all. And His opinion is more important. The Bible goes on in the next chapter and it says, Who are you to judge another man's servant? It doesn't really matter to me what you think about the way I serve. 
It matters to me what God thinks about the way I serve. Because he's the one I'm going to answer to. And yet we get really concerned about everybody else and not so much about him. And so we don't really care what God sees sometimes. And so all things kind of fall into this deeds of darkness category. Sin and hate, selfish actions. And he lists a few later on, but what else happens at night? One of the things my mom used to say was, nothing good happens after 11. Do you remember that? For some of you, it was 9. Right? Some of you got a little bit later. But for our house, it was nothing good happens after 11. And so when I was able to drive, the rule was you needed to be home in the driveway alone by 11. Because nothing good happens after 11. It made zero sense to me whatsoever. There's all kinds of great things that happen after 11. TV doesn't shut off at 11. There's other things happening in the world. Surely, but you know, the older I get and the more I watch, there's not that much good that happens once it gets dark. Right? Once the fireworks are over, it's time to go home. There really isn't much else. And you read the news and see what happens to people. So-and-so was robbed at the ATM at 2.30 in the morning. What were you doing at 2.30 in the morning? Nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. Right? So we're sleeping at that point. If we're sleeping then, what's happening? Nothing. We're breathing out. We're breathing in. Nothing. I think just as dangerous church as deeds in darkness, as the sin associated with that, is finding yourself asleep and doing nothing. And I have to admit to you this day, that's one of those things I've had to repent of this week is being asleep too much in terms of following after what God is asking us to do. That apathy is killing the church just as surely as those actions are. Then he continues into verse 13. He says, let us behave properly as in the day. And then we have some of those deeds of darkness listed. Not in carousing, not in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife, not in jealousy. But he talks about those deeds of the day. We don't sleep during the day. Well, most of us don't sleep during the day. Few of you catnap. What kinds of things do we do during the day? And I began to think about things as a church that we can do. And we just got finished singing some great songs. If you weren't inspired by the music this morning, then, you know, something's not quite right. It was wonderful. Wasn't it? Yes, it was great. And when we get to heaven, can we still do that? Yes, we can. And Steve can still direct. And we'll have... It'll be amazing. It'll be a huge choir. We'll sing incredible stuff. And we won't necessarily even have to sing about God. We'll be able to sing to Him. It's kind of like we should do now. But it'll be amazing. In a few minutes, one of our deacons is going to come and pray over the offering. When we get to heaven, can we still pray? Sure we can. Not only can we still pray, we can pray to God who's standing there. 
We can converse with Jesus directly. It'll be amazing. Will we be able to worship in heaven? Absolutely. We'll be able to learn and study in heaven. Yes, you can go talk to the people. You won't have to study about Moses. You can go fishing with Moses. That would be incredible. And so I started thinking about all the things that we can do then and we can do now. And just about all of them are better then than they are now. But we can't reach people who are lost then. We can only do that now. We can only do that now. We can only share with people who don't know the Lord now. But we sleep too much. So as it says, let us behave properly. That's what jumps out at me. There is no evangelism in heaven. And we have sent over 4,000 people off into eternity to face it. And then he gets to verse 14 and he says this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an incredible phrase. It harkens back to the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and verse 34. It's, it's a similar kind of phrase. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ sounds like you wear him. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 34, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Abizarites were called together to follow him. Gideon had a, a history of kind of being small, not really being involved, being a little bit cowardly, and God would empower him to do what he called him to do, and Gideon would kind of up and try a little bit, and it would be successful. And he called him in stages and increments and small things first and then bigger and bigger. And in that phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. When you pick it apart, in the Hebrew, what it says is, literally, that the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. Now, I understand in our world that sounds a little creepy. Like being possessed almost. You can think of it as Gideon was spirit-filled. But it's literally clothed himself with Gideon. So the phrase here in the New Testament, put on the Lord Jesus, just smacks to me very similarly. It's the idea that when I'm walking in the Spirit, the Spirit enables me to do what I was called to do. To accomplish the giftedness that He gave me. To allow me to complete the task at hand, because in my energy and in my efforts, it doesn't happen. And so the admonition in the verse is, put on the Lord Jesus to accomplish all of these things that I have now listed. So you can live out your calling. Church, our calling is to make sure that these almost 5,000 people don't walk off into forever never having heard 
what you already know. Can we do that ourselves? No. But if we put on the Lord Jesus, if we allow God to clothe Himself with us, much can be done. So what part of your calling has gone undone? Or who in your world is still unreached? What can we do? Well, according to the passage, we do what is good. We love one another. Love one another does not only apply to our church chums, to like-minded people. Sure, we love fellow believers, and we do that by edifying them and lifting them up, encouraging them, rather than always finding fault or being God's appointed critic. That's the Spirit's job anyway. But he calls us to love people Jesus died for. So how can we do that? Let's be really practical. How about prayer walking your neighborhood? Those of you that can. You can prayer walk your neighborhood. You can pick a house on a weekly basis. I'm going to walk by that house and I'm going to pray that God's power would descend on that house and he would be real to those people. You could walk every day. I'm going to pray for my neighbors as I come to them. And in doing so, God's going to give you some ideas on how to reach those folks. You can help out the single parent that lives next door. How can I help them out? All kinds of different ways. You can check the oil in their car. You don't have to change it. You can just check it. You can help out with handyman things. You can help out with bringing like real food so they don't have to keep eating spam and ramen noodles and stuff. You don't have to do it all the time, but a gesture periodically. You could cut the grass for a coworker who's on vacation so that when they come home, they don't have to have that half a day that we have to have of getting everything at home fixed back again, and then we need rest from our vacation. You don't even have to get permission. You can just do it. Now, don't run over anything that's flowers. But you can just do it. And then you can say, we just wanted to show God's love to you in a practical way. And don't say anything else. Let God grow that conversation. Some of you that are in different places, you might go so be far and be bold. You know, Ask your waitress here in a little while. Hey, we're going to be praying in a few minutes. What can we pray with you about? Easy to do. Those people are paid to be nice to you. They're not going to fuss at you about that. Some of them will even say, you know what, I was hoping somebody was going to pray with me today. Here's what I'm struggling with. If you do that... Leave a decent tip. Go to 30%. Make an impression. God is good. You be good. Don't ruin your witness by leaving a nickel. Because now it's an impression on God because you've made it that way. But take the time. You can invite people to church rather than talking to them about what you don't like about it. There's all kinds of things we can do and be involved in. We can wake up and accomplish. I want to pray with you. And while we're praying, I want to ask God to show you some stuff. And show me some stuff. Because I want to have an impact on the 5,200 people 
that tomorrow will be gone. Because we've lost the opportunity for these. But would you pray with me? Father, this morning we come and just just ask God that you would forgive us for our dark deeds. You know the ones. You know the items in our lives that we've been struggling with. God, in fact, I would pray that you would bring to mind to all of us those things that we need you to come and wash away, to wash over, to forgive us for. God, would you awaken the burden in your people for someone or group of people and then show them how to reach them. In the quiet of just a few seconds, I would ask, God, you would reveal to everyone here someone that they could share with, someone they could reach. Bring a name to their mind, a face. position like a waitress or cashier somebody that they see regularly in fact while we're praying let me just ask you how many of you in the room just by raising your hand in thinking about this God has given you a name or put a face or somebody you know you're going to run into on your heart look at hands everywhere you can put them back down God, I pray for power for those people. Lord, that they would put on you. And you would enable them to reach those folks, to impact this number. God, thank you for loving us. That someone loved me enough to share with me, help me to do the same. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do what is good. Love one another. Wake up to the opportunities around you. Impact people with what God has done for you. Or you can hit snooze, roll over, and go back to sleep. That's the choice this morning.